This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Ramya. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on-air community, and everyone's invited. Always so much hanging out here. Always so much going on on the program. Always so much behind the scenes. We say hi to everybody checking out the show. We thank all who make sure this show is possible. And today with Rumya Muthan not feeling well, making the show also possible to be going on with two driving this boat. Grant Hardy joins me again for the second time this week. Mr. Hardy, welcome. Hello, sir. Fantastic to be here with you today. Uh, really always wonderful to have you hanging out with me on the show and, and piloting along. And Grant, I have to assume, starting to feel a little more comfortable with this co-hosting thing. I think we're getting there. When I'm not uh, stealing your lines or sort of, you know, up to other shenanigans here to derail the ship, uh, I think overall it's smooth water. So you're All very right. pleasant to host with, and I hope that you're happy to have me. Yeah, you betcha, my friend, and let's get into it. Um, I'm curious of something here. Now, Ramya being away had prepared the script a bit, got it ready, and left us a question to ask. Mm. What that question is, Grant, is have you ever taken a liking to gardening, planting, that kind of thing? Well, I find it very interesting and intriguing, but it's not really something that I've spent a huge time on, although I will tell you I, a couple of years ago, bought... Uh, what was said to be an unkillable pretty much plant really durable plant <laughs> and if you can believe it i have managed to get that plant uh to not feel very well sometimes a lot of people will look at it and like oh your unkillable plants looking pretty droopy you realize that your plant needs water right there he is water. on the on the, on the oh, screen yeah. there. He, he, from what i understand <laughs> looks like he's surviving grant He's surviving. We're getting a little better. I'm glad. I'm glad it's not a kid. You know, it's only a plant without a nervous system. But uh, we're getting there. I'm learning to water my plant. You should be very. Give me a pat on the back. You know. It's oh, for sure. And one, for me. one, uh, you know, plant in a place that can survive all. Right. It. It. That's okay, man. That makes it a special plant, or maybe <laughs> one, a plant that belongs to the superhero of plant family. Right. Yeah, it's a plant that belongs to the Grant Hardy family. If it's okay. uh, if it's unkillable, right. yeah. <laughs> boy, that says something, right? A durable plant, folks. We're here to tell you now what's coming up on the program today. Beth Deer will be here in a bit. She's going to be leading a discussion on ambulance wait times and how it's teetering with dangers in some regions of our country. On Curious Minds with Christine Malik, we dive into the history of the irrigation system and how it works. I wonder if we're going to talk about the irrigation system that keeps your plant alive. And on the <laughs> program of the Weekly Roundtable, we'll do that in hour two. We're joined today by AMI communication specialist Greg David and a lot of good topics I'm putting on said table later on. So I want to talk about sandwiches. U.S. sandwich chains Jimmy John's is headed to Canada this year, and rival Jersey Mike's is expanding its uh, sub-holdings uh, restaurants in the uh, 
excuse me, in the country here. But is there any concerns by uh, founder and present CEO Peter Kanko? Does it have him worried? Let's take a listen. <laughs> it's another sandwich shop. Sure, it's a rival or a competitor like a Burger King would be or uh, another food place. Uh, like a Tim Hortons would be. We don't see it as a direct competition because we are so different. So Jersey Mike's already <laughs> has two in Ontario, but plans to open, get this, Grant, 300 locations uh, throughout uh, over the next decade. I want to be sure that was just in Ontario alone, and it is. That's a lot. Like In one province. A, in one province, that's a lot. Do you get the sense that, like, they are a bit worried about it. They're like, I'm, I'm not worried about it. This is what I'm telling myself. This is not really competition. I'm not worried. I Maybe I'm a little worried, but I'm not going to admit it. I, I wonder when you sit around the boardroom table, right? Like you, you, your founder comes along, starts a company. This is what we have special. You know, they start out small. Everybody around the neighborhood where they where they open their first location, then the town, then the community, then maybe the region starts hearing of it. But what is their niche? What makes them different than a Tim Horton sandwich or, or the Jersey Mike sandwich in this case? Now, again, our American friends, the, you guys are screaming at us, telling us what the difference is. It's kind of like, what's the difference between Chick-fil-A sandwich? Sandwich and a McDonald's sandwich, and and I'm sure those who imbibe in, in in Chick Fil A uh, food, they know it right off the bat. And those who enjoy McDonald's will be the ones to defend. But when you talk about sandwiches, Grant, is it in the bread? Is it in the items you put on it? Is it in the way the freshness of the the meats or or produce on it? I, I don't know. I like sandwiches. Yeah. I find if you like sandwiches, you like a sandwich. It's got to be the bread. I think so too. I'm a really like fresh bread person, which is why I always dig like the like you know sandwiches at a bakery or something where right. you just yes. know that bread like it just came out of the oven. So any any time it's like you know our ingredients are all frozen and shipped from like wherever headquarters to this place and they're not as fresh, it, I think that kind of wrecks a sandwich a little bit. You know Definitely. what I wish. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Definitely. No, yeah, definitely freshness. I, I wish I wasn't so weird about ground beef and things like meatballs and stuff like that because my head says one of the best sandwiches would be nice, thick, kind of crusty bread, sauce, like tomato sauce, cheese, and that meat on it. I just wouldn't like the mess, and I'm not a big big uh, on the ground beef, even though I'll eat a hamburger. It's what covers that burger, including the bread, that makes it so palatable for me. But I think of those sandwiches, and this used to be this big thing of the 50s and 60s, those kind of sandwiches that were big that we would never, ever see again. But, boy, do they ever make a good tease for a sandwich person who loves that kind of meal in their hand. We step aside for a moment, ladies and gentlemen, as Mental Health Awareness Day approaches, Michael Ferris here, he's going to be letting us know about a meditation app that's out there, that's caught his attention. We talk in two minutes with him. Return, please, with us. Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Ramya will be right back. weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern on AMI-tv across Canada. Gang, don't forget, 
check our audio feed out through AMI-audio. We're on the, there at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. And the first repeat of the show on AMI-audio and AMI-TV, as a matter of fact, at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. But the point is, folks, listening in through AMI-audio, we want to welcome all those listening in around the world. We know you're out there listening through the Radio Player Canada app, OOTunes, or TuneIn. So wonderful to have you on board wherever you are checking out AMI-audio and uh, enjoying Kelly and Ramya. Today, sitting in with me, Mr. Grant Hardy. Well, let's talk audio entertainment and tech as we do at this time on Thursday with Michael Fair. Audio entertainment and accessible technology are increasingly important in our lives. I'm Mike Fair, here to help you make the most out of your devices. We'll share tech tips and product reviews. Plus, I'll steer you towards the best accessible games, audio dramas, and podcasts. We'll talk about it all here on Kelly and Ramya. Happy Thursday, Mike. How's it going? Good. Yep, it's been an interesting morning. And, uh, yep, checking out all these apps as usual, scouting ahead for things. <laughs> well, and, uh, it's all, always you, great You've been to keeping talk your... Your hardy plants alive, I hear. <laughs> uh, by the skin of its teeth. By the skin of its Ooh, teeth. Uh, and I like that. A hardy plant. <laughs> hey, well, I'm just, that's good, I'm, Michael. I'm just glad it's so hard to harm it, apparently, because uh, that's what I mean. Uh, we always love talking tech uh, and apps with you, man. And as we approach Mental Health Awareness Day, and I think a lot of people struggle with their mental health this time of year. I know you're always keeping your ear out for the hottest apps. And we're going to talk about the Zenitizer app. Am I saying that correctly? Yes. And what makes this app different? Yeah, the Zenitizer, it's uh, a guy named Manuel Kell. He is in Germany. And uh, he basically likes his meditation. He tried the, all the guided meditation apps. And he found that the narration, the, 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 what the people were saying, was distracting him from his own thoughts. So he wanted to set out to make a really simple, basic meditation, unguided meditation app that would have what you needed and nothing that would sort of distract from your own personal journey, your own thoughts. Mm -hmm. So the app is basically, uh, the core of it is a timer, and that timer is kind of designed and optimized for meditative purposes, and it has a bunch of extras thrown in that are less intrusive than uh, the, the narration would be. So these are things that will support but not sort of interfere with, with your thoughts. Fascinating. Understandable, too, when you think about what, you, what you're trying to achieve for your own personal growth and, and, and what it's to do to work for you. What kind of extras um, aren't inclusive as narrated uh, you know, items? Uh, not yeah, narrated, uh, guide, so, uh, guidance, excuse me, Mike. Yeah, th there are uh, a few examples. Interval sounds is one. So, so, you know, sometimes you get a long stretch of like just a soundscape with nothing else and you get lost, like you feel time slipping away and you, it panics some people, right? So uh, set, uh, you, the, there's interval bells that will ring at, at what you decide as, as good intervals uh, if, if you do Zenitizer Plus. Uh, it, I think the default is one minute. Uh, soundscapes is another. He added a, a small selection of soundscapes uh, and, uh, you know, those, you know, of course, silence can be intimidating, right? A long stretch of utter silence with sudden dongs and to tell you when the time, right? That for some people that can be rather, uh, you know, unbalancing. So, you know, there are soundscapes to help you focus, ocean waves, wind, 
uh, the things like that. Statistics, right? Another thing is statistics. It, it keeps track of your mindful minutes and integrates with Apple Health to give you the credit for mind, man, mindful minutes in there. And it also keeps track of daily streaks, things like that, things that will motivate you, you know, when you want to look back and see how am I doing, right, in my journey every month. I've never really thought about that before, but I could actually see myself getting anxious by just long drawn out silence and then all of a sudden yeah. anticipating some kind of sounds so i can see kind of fading in from some white background noise could be really useful yeah uh, absolutely let's talk about how this app feels like how is it laid out so basically it's pretty simple there are four tabs across the bottom the one you're going to do it, the most working is timer and that has uh on that's on the very left uh, the next one over is daily goals. So that's all your stats and your daily uh, stuff there. Uh, statistics is the next one over. That gets a broader view of statistics and more information there. And then you have your settings on the far right. So there are things you can set in the app to uh, to help you uh, maximize how it works for you. Um, sliders, they're kind of combinations. Most things are very simple. They use buttons and sliders, uh, but he does hide some things behind uh, headings. And so you'll get to a menu and uh, it, it just says interval uh, countdown and it, you can double tap on that heading and it expands stuff and you get more options. So that's one thing to be aware of with this app. Fantastic, I like it. Um, it sounds simple enough, Mike, and easy to navigate, especially accessibly, but we'll get into that. So walk us through how to set a preferred uh, starting bell for the timer, if you don't mind. Yeah, so basically you go to the timer app. That's that's where most of this stuff is, the timer tab, rather, tab on the far left. Uh, up at the very top of that tab is Meditation Basics. That's, if you double tap on that button, by the way, you do get a brief uh, thing of, of instructions on how to meditate. So you're not completely left to your own if, you, if you're a, an utter newbie at this. Um, but basically, so you move right of that button. If you feel down on the screen, you can find this. This is the way up at the very top, the meditation basics button. So feel down from that or flick to the right. And eventually, uh, you'll get to the start bell heading, starting bell heading. You double tap on that and that expands some options, right? And when those options are out there, you flick right to go through them. And, uh, so it'll say, uh, um, start bell countdown. And that's like the, the number of seconds, uh, whatever, before the start bell rings, you double tap on that and or with one finger and that expands the rest of the options, right? So you get, uh, that reveals, um, flick right through the options, through the different sounds. Uh, and when you want to uh, change one, you double tap on it. So when you get the bell sound, you double tap on that. And on that button, and it brings up a slider menu with a final set of options, and you flick through those and to this pop-up menu, and you you get to the uh, the sound. So whether that's a small bell, a big gong, something like that, you double tap on that. You can double tap on the listening button, the listen button, to hear what it sounds like. And if you like what it sounds like, you want that to be the sound, you flick right to get to the selected button. Buttons in this app. Unlike other apps, they sort of tell you what they're going to do rather than this, the current status. That takes a bit of getting used to. So you double tap on that, and as soon as you double tap on selected, uh, that sound will then be the sound used, and that whole mess of stuff collapses, and you just have that heading on the screen again until the next time you need it. Can you give us a little de more detail? What do you mean exactly when you say the buttons on the screen behave differently than other apps and tell you what they're going to do? do instead of the status so, 
Yeah, a lot of these apps, when you get to a button, if you have a button that says mute sound, you double tap it and it would it would mute the sound and then it, it will you know switch and go unmute sound, right? So it's telling you what's gonna happen next. And that's kind of what, what this kind of does. He some of these things are are phrased a bit differently. Um, so that can kind of get in the way. Like some buttons will tell you this is muted, and you double tap it and it goes mm. unmuted. Whereas this says mute sound. If you double tap it, that's what it's going to do. And then it will say unmute and you double tap it and that's what it's going to do. So it's, it's telling you what's going to happen versus what is the state of that particular element. And that you'll find in a few places throughout the app. That's interesting because you do see that. And I'm trying to think where other applications, I think a lot of web pages will, will do that tap to unmute or, or whatever, give you that kind of prompt. Um, yes. Can people, can people have the app? Remind them when it's time, well, or just even just to meditate. Yes, you can go into the uh, daily goal tab. And in there, you can set a couple of different things. There are simple reminders that are just time-based. If they remind me at this time, generate a reminder saying, hey, you should meditate now. Or if you're really brave and know what you're doing with shortcuts, you can make uh, smart reminders, which are dependent on conditions. If you just connect your AirPods, it might detect that and remind you, oh, you should maybe think about meditating. Or if you've just done a workout and it's something like that. So you can get really specific with with that if you know what you're doing with shortcuts. I have yet to venture into that. Uh, I, I tend to stick to the simple timer reminders that are just you know, this time of day, remind me. But uh, for people who are a little more nerdy than me and know what they're doing, uh, that that feature is there. You can actually go in and really get creative about what triggers meditation reminders and really sort of customize that for you. Man, I love it when apps integrate with shortcuts. It's one of those things that sounds like so technical that it's like out of reach, but the few things that I've set up with shortcuts, it, it just reminds you how much power there is uh, in that feature. So love to see them integrating with that. Let's talk about the get uh, when you subscribe to Zenitizer Plus. So basically what you get is the ability to customize stuff. Otherwise, you're kind of stuck with the default options that are free for everybody. So the core, the basic timer is free. You can sort of customize how long the overall timer is. But there are things like uh, soundscapes, for example, you only get a, maybe one or two of the soundscapes until you go to Zenitizer Plus, and then you suddenly get access to more. Uh, things like that in the app. And it will tell you, if you try to do something in it and you need plus to do it, it will tell you, hey, you know, think about subscribing if you want to use this. So that's, uh, that's in essence, what that's all about. You can save your favorite setups as routines uh, that, that just are in a bank of routines that you can double tap on to instantly start this particular configuration timer. So that's the kind of thing you can do when you have Zenitizer Plus as opposed to the basic core functionality of the app, which is always free. Yeah. I like the option. I love the fact that you can be very comfortable and do with the basic um, what you want to do, Mike, and, of course, achieving what the whole idea of the app is for. But if you want the extras, what will we be paying? So from uh, each month, it's $3.99. Uh, for a year, it's $24.99. And a lifetime is $99.99. And that sounds like, why would anyone pay that for like a timer, uh, essentially? But uh, it, when you look at the, the, all the, the, the big guns in the space, the calm, the head spaces, the, all the ones with the narrated meditations, you're pretty much looking at that much per year. So if all you need is the 
the core, the timer, the the focus helps, right? The you know the interval bells to keep you focused. You know that kind of simple stuff, as opposed to all the narrative guidance. This might really be worth thinking about. So that's that's kind of where he's positioned himself in in terms of pricing. I know we can grab this in the app store just really quickly, not to get too personal, but do you find this beneficial for yourself? Yes, I, I've like the meditative uh, apps. This is a really nice thing. I might consider when my Calm subscription runs out. Uh, basically, you know, just going to that app for and using some of my soundscape apps. You can mute the soundscapes in this app if you don't like them as much, and use any other resources you have, like the Nature Space app or other things like that. Or books, like some people, you might have like religious practices or other things. You don't really need all that guided narration. So if all you need is that focus aid, that timer, that soundscaping and stuff like that, then, then yeah, this app can just fill that gap and uh, help you focus on you know, what you're supposed to be focusing on. It's, it's nice that it's easy ish easy enough to switch apps now mm -hmm. because if you're in a situation where you're tracking mindful minutes with health uh you don't have to worry about losing all that data exactly it just carries on and and you can just continue with whatever system works best for you so if you have a bunch of meditation books or like netflix has meditation programs partner podcasts lots of other help out there so if that's all you need then you pay once, even if you do a lifetime thing, you pay once and then you just have it for as long as this guy keeps the app in the app store. And it's gonna, it's a timer app. It's one of those simple apps that isn't gonna require a ton of maintenance. So, and he's, he's very responsive. He's, he's adding updates and features to it uh, fairly regularly. So he's listening to what people are saying and responding to that. So it's one of those things where he's, I think he's doing the work to earn yeah. the uh, subscription. Absolutely. This is one of those things I'm going to uh, hopefully check out myself. Thank you so much, Mike. Always great to chat with you about tech. Absolutely. We'll see you next week right. for one of the bigger guns. Uh, the Calm app Ooh, is up cool. next. Ah, there we <laughs> Michael go. Fair joins us every Thursday to talk audio entertainment and tech. We step aside for just a couple of moments. Jeff Ryman's going to hop in here to join us. It's that time. We do it once every two weeks on the program. Because a Florida school district is banning some unexpected books. Grant is going to switch hats for a few minutes as we have What in the World for you momentarily. Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Ramya return with more in a moment. having a lot of fun on the program welcome to the thursday edition of kelly and Remya. wherever you are checking out the show appreciate any bit of time that you have for us remember check out the podcast subscribe using your favorite podcast platform always love it if you're riding along while you're in there maybe give us a rating and review if you have a couple of minutes to do so sitting in for Remya today who's a little under the weather grant hardy with us and grant's gonna switch hats ladies and gentlemen every two weeks brings a few things for us to talk about. We call it What in the World, and today we're inviting Jeff Ryman, who will be with us, uh, to to sit back and have some fun with the segment. Uh, Jeffy, welcome, first of all. Thank you. It's always good to be here, and it's kind of nice to hey, be Jeff. here in uh, a bit of a backseat while Grant delivers the What in the World articles, because this is probably my favorite segment on the entire show. <laughs> yeah. And before I make and confuse everyone, let's bring Grant in officially with What in the World.
Do you want to know about the craziest stories news has to offer? Look no further than What in the World with myself, Grant Hardy, where I explore the most preposterous, comical, and mind-boggling stories from all across the globe. I'm not having anyone think, Grant, that I'm forgetful, so we wanted to make sure we brought you our introduction and roll it all out for you, sir. Welcome, and uh, what do you have for us? Yeah, thanks, and welcome, Jeff. I uh, wanted to start with a Florida law, HB 1069, just to be official about this. The law uh, restricts access to materials in schools containing any kind of sexual content or other offensive uh, materials in Florida classrooms. Just to give you an idea of how severe this is, they've banned the Guinness Book of World Records and Ripley's Believe It or Not, which is a book for children that highlights unusual stories and hair-raising oddities, according to the book's description. And they've removed a lot of other books. You might be snarky and be thinking, well, gee, what are they going to do next? Remove the dictionary? As it turns out, yes. Uh, One Florida school district is removing copies of dictionaries, encyclopedias, and other books because they contain this content as well. Uh, They want to stress that it hasn't actually been banned. They've just temporarily pulled them off the shelves for review. That's going to take a long time flipping through every word in the dictionary. Uh, And they've they've only reviewed uh, a tiny amount of books that they have taken off the shelves. Now there's a lawsuit that has been given the green light to go forward because people are arguing this is unreasonable. Wow. Wow. Well, first of all, it would have been tough for Jeffy to do one of his last quizzes with us since he relied quite heavily on the uh, Guinness Book of Records, right, Jeff? (laughs) That's right. (laughs) I will say when there was reading time back in elementary school or heck, even high school, the Guinness Book of World Records was pretty much my go-to because it was mainly pictures and I didn't have to read a whole lot. And it was also really interesting to find out some of the world records, but pulling that, pulling the dictionary, I don't quite understand that. Um, You should probably know what's already in the dictionary. If it's a word, it's going to be there. I don't really know what more there is to review. And as for the kids who are looking to spell things nowadays, I guess that's probably not an issue because there's so many different pieces of technology. Um, Spell check is usually pretty good. Uh, Speech to text is somewhat reliable as well, I guess. But yeah, I mean, I just don't understand why this is a thing. And they're not even saying that this is official yet that's it's under review right grant like that just seems a little bit strange it also seems a bit arbitrary doesn't it like it seems like some school districts are doing it some aren't and i remember as a kid the dictionary was that thing that when you were saying stupid words that the teachers caught you saying they said well let's go and sit down with the dictionary and you tell us what that (laughs) word actually means since you're using it know it all yeah, I just love that a kid somewhere is going to be like, well, what does the word whatever conscientious mean? Uh, if you don't know, we can't tell you where to look that up. That's offensive. 
It and also, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just imagining how this review is going like, yeah, this is going to take us a while. We're on the AC words right now. So we have several it, more letters to go. <laughs> well, it's scary when it seems like we worry about the one or two people that are going to look up all those words that they should or go look up the stories in Ripley's that, oh, what are you looking at for? That's gross or that's obscene. Or, yeah, and I understand people are going to do, but uh, it just confuses me when you'd rather, if someone's going to do something, say something. Um, I'd rather them at least know what the heck they're saying or talking yeah. about or oh, yeah. go to the book, look it up instead of running around screaming at every smart speaker, just asking for it or whatever, whatever it is where you might be being a little inappropriate about something. Hopefully for those who truly are sincere, they look at something and say, oh, oh, I, I better not go saying that. People will get offended. I, I also think Another part of this, and I, I kind of touched on it briefly, is the technology aspect. If a kid wants to really look something up, the technology is literally at their fingertips. Right here. They can either, here. yeah, it's right on their phone. They can go to a computer. A computer has they, a thesaurus, they, dictionary. Yeah. Heck, even your home can talk to you now. You can literally just, you know, ask Alexa or Siri or Google or whatever, and it's just going to pop up right there. Uh, again, I don't really understand what this school's trying to do, but yeah, uh, I would like to uh, see what they come to a conclusion with after <laughs> this review, just to see exactly what they were trying to do. It, it, this is a strange one. Yeah, it is. Yeah. That that's the thing is being being a kid sometimes is less shocking just to know what something actually means than to have someone try and ban it from you completely. Uh, all right, we're gonna move on here and talk about a official from the Paraguayan government uh, was replaced from his jo uh, job in the agriculture ministry after it was revealed that he signed a agreement with a fictional country. Uh, the country <laughs> is called the United States of Kailaza. And it's run by a bit, well, it's fictional, but uh, it's uh, prop, it's was created, the fictional concept, I don't even know how to say the country is run by, no. The fictional country was created by a fugitive and it's described as the revival of the ancient, of an ancient enlightened civilization nat uh, nation, uh, which is being revived or something of, around the world this guy who set up the website uh has been involved in many crimes and uh is a fugitive uh as i said it turns out that this is not actually unique uh so for example um officials in the united states and canada have apparently also signed agreements with entities or countries that don't really exist so there you go i thought that was just kind of interesting glad our tax money is going to something beneficial <laughs> but this is this is actually really funny and two things sort of popped into my mind one is that family guy episode where peter yeah. starts pretoria his own country um <laughs> and i'm sure stuff like this would go on um but also, this is almost like a, a larger scale country sized catfishing scenario where it sounds like there's something real. You put out all this information, you make it look nice and shiny, and 
you actually get countries to agree to it. I mean, clearly Paraguay fell into that trap. And Grant, you said that other larger countries such as Canada fall into these traps. Like, how does that happen? Like, how do you not do your due diligence into like a background check before you sign something? I understand getting a piece of paper that crosses your desk or a piece of email that hits your inbox and you're kind of like, is this legit? But then you would do your due diligence, you do your research, and and then you find out that this country does yeah. not exist, and it's run yeah. by I, a corrupt I, individual. I <laughs> think we passed the buck. That's how we get bit. Scary. Yeah, we we we, <laughs> yeah. we see something come across. I don't have time to look at it. I'll kick it down the hall to Jeff. Jeff will figure it out and make the decision. Oh, he's busy because something's come up today. Grant, can you handle it? Till Grant just says, "Look, I'm just stressed out. I, I ain't got the time." Sign, G Grant Hardy. D just take this thing out of here. That's a good point, though. Like, if I was a political leader, someone came up to me and they're like, oh, I work for the United Nation of Kailaza, and I can take care of all the <laughs> environmental problems and pollution and stuff if you just, you know, pay me a little bit of money. I might be yeah. like, I don't have to worry about doing that? Okay, cool. That's right. <laughs> Done. Here, I'll, 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 uh, I'll take the bite on your red herring. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Awesome. Yeah, um, I mean, I... I feel like there should be like an assistant that you have that sort of filters totally. through this stuff because there's stuff that comes into your inbox and I get them. I'm sure everybody gets them where it's like, oh, we can help you save time and money and this and that. And I just end up deleting it. But I was just going to say, like, I just got uh, an this, email a while ago like that. Also, so it's gone. Like, like sort of the prankster in me. And this is, I don't know if this is like a right thing to say or anything, but like, <laughs> I feel like this would be really funny to like send something out just to see, you know, almost like an investigative piece to see like oh, totally. what would get signed. Like how far can you push the envelope? Um, you know, almost like undercover boss style where like you create this like super official looking scenario or document and see how far along it gets pushed. Uh, obviously yes. I wouldn't want anybody's jobs to be on the line here, but just out of curiosity, you know, <laughs> push the government a little bit. That would be really funny. <laughs> Um, just really quickly here, uh, hey, possible dream job maybe for any of us or anyone uh, listening, but it turns out Casey's Pizza is seeking the best candidates for its most delicious position ever as National Pizza Week approaches, which is their official pizza and beer officer. Sorry, I'm trying to find the title. Am I correct about that? Pizza and beer officer, I think it is. And your job is literally researching and pairing Casey's pizzas with the best beer combinations and posting <laughs> it to social media. It is a con contracted position. I think it's only for like a few uh, months. But your job is to literally pair their pizza with beer and post about it on social media. Are you, are you guys tempted by this at all? Grant, I mean, do you know who you're talking to? I mean, I yes. feel like you've probably spoken to like 90% of the population, uh, uh, myself included. Uh, only a couple months. Oh, I don't know if I can muster up the time for that. Uh, I want to be careful you don't get too addicted to your beer or get to gain too many pounds from pizza. Yeah, it might be worth it though. It might be it might be worth it for 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 this for the greater cause, Kelly and Grant, of the it's pizza in cases pizza. You know, this is this is for the betterment of humanity here. I mean, yeah, if you're exactly. gonna be looking for a great pairing of pizza and a beer, 
I better be doing my due diligence. So you you bet, you know, I'd be right and, there. To answer your question, Grant, and, and, you know what? I might put in a resume. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I'm just, just going to say, Jeff, what makes your palate special enough is what I wonder. Like what, mm. when you see, when you think of having pizza quickly and, and the proper beer, I'm not saying you need to come up with some whichever company, but could you think, I do have a go-to when I have a piece, a piece of pizza and the perfect beer. In your mind, anything come to I mean, mind or nah? I don't know if I have, I mean, I'm, I'm easy, Kels. I'll, I'll eat and drink kind of whatever <laughs> is thrown my way. But I feel like you could have a little bit of fun with this. I mean, and I feel like your palate would have to be pretty eclectic in the sense that you might have to eat pineapple on pizza or you might have to have anchovies on your pizza and pair that with a beer and the same goes for beer right you know not everybody likes a light beer or a dark beer or amber or red ale or whatever it may be or dark you know so you I, i'd assume An that you'd interview. probably have to like a little bit of everything but again that's no problem could you imagine the job interview like just sitting there and kind of when they <laughs> say to you what would you use as your markers to match said beer with our product and you just like Oh, yeah, you've become a great liar. What a Pinocchio knows. Anyway, yeah, Jeffrey, thanks. Know, of course, guys. I was going to say, you know, you just check my credit card statement for the, the amount of pizza and beer that I spend. <laughs> on <laughs> Yeah, just submit that to them in the interview. And they'll be like, oh, yeah, you're like, hired. Hired. <laughs> you're either a real fan of beer and pizza or a good liar. Thanks, pal. Later, guys. Of course, Grant brings these stories every two weeks. We call it What in the World right here on the program. We will step aside for a moment, and we will welcome in producer and reporter for our program, Beth Deer, when she joins us. We're going to be talking about ambulance wait times and how it's teetering with danger in some regions of our country. That up next. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Thanks for being with us, everyone. We are hanging out with you as we do daily from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern on AMI-tv, 4 p.m. Eastern. We are on AMI-audio, and you can catch the show in repeat, too, on the network, both networks at 10 p.m. Eastern time. Remember, we're always looking to hear from you, so reach out to the show if you have any comments. And uh, Rumi and I always love to hear things. Sitting in for Rumi today on the program, Grant Hardy out in Vancouver. And it's time to welcome in, we call this segment The Buzz. We do this Wednesdays through Fridays on the program. Beth Deer joins us now. Beth, welcome. How's things today? Good. I think you guys have found my dream job. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I love being on the show. But, like, I'm not a picky eater. I love pizza. And I can drink beer like it's water. So I think oh, man. that That's... I would give Jeff Ryman a run for his money there. <laughs> That's so, so funny. I'm... I'm actually the oh, go one ahead, person. I'm the one person who would not do this job. Actually, I'm a picky <laughs> eater. I don't eat pizza, and I don't like beer. So, I'm you guys curious have of what it. I what I asked Jeffrey was: Can you think, Beth, how you would in an interview when they're sitting there? No, oh, how would you gauge what would be your markers for this pizza, our product versus whatever beer? Do you, do you have any? I don't even know what one. Like people will say that you know, wings yeah. and beer, pizza and beer. I don't even know. I, to me, I always thought it was whatever's available went along well with the pizza. Right. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You know, I feel like, I feel like if I'm being completely honest, I feel like I'd have to do the actual like taste testing separately. I think I'd have to say to them, like, 
okay, I need to be sober to be able to judge the pizzas fairly. And I need to be... No, that doesn't work. I was going to say I need to be sober to judge the pizzas fairly, but... And then I need to be drunk to, like, judge the alcohol fairly, but <laughs> I, I don't know that that's actually... I don't know that that would help me. <laughs> yeah, they, they might say, you're taking our, our serious job here. This is serious work, you know. But and, uh, yeah, they, they might feel that way. I would take it seriously, and I... Yeah, like... I feel like because of how unpicky I am, though, I'd, that might actually be a disadvantage to me because yeah, I'd just be like, this one tastes great, that one tastes great, this one tastes great. So they you might be looking for someone with more yeah. of a... You'd have to lie, or like you say, like, like Grant just said, you'd have to almost throw a dart and say, what did it land on? Uh, oh, yeah, that's work. Uh, that's the perfect one. That's a good combo for your so-and-so <laughs> deluxe pizza. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's how. Uh, Beth, where are we starting today? What do you have for us? Um, so today we are starting with ambulances. Have you been affected by long ambulance wait times? The union representing Toronto paramedics issued a code red alert after it said that there were no ambulances available to quickly respond to calls in the city. In a post on social media, the union said that the pill paramedic services ultimately had to be called to... Um, in to provide assistance after it was determined that the nearest ambulance available to respond to a call. I think I get that. So it's like, yeah, whoever's closest goes to that call, right. but by mm -hmm. the same token, if there's someone who's higher priority, then you're quite like, you're kind of yes. screwed. Mm -hmm. um, but um, it took um, an unconscious elderly person 28 minutes to be seen by an ambulance which is in my opinion absolutely crazy um the union says that the ambulance shortage in toronto has become nearly a daily reality which i think like i don't get me wrong i think that we're so lucky in our country for the most part to have public health care i know i know every province is different but my understanding is that for the most part, like most provinces do cover a lot of like health care needs. Yeah. But the ambulance I, thing is scary. No, it is. It is. And I, although I would never call out or blame like individuals working hard in the healthcare system, mm -hmm. it does seem really clear that like, and I think the pandemic really illustrated this to us that you can't take this stuff for granted. Like a lot of times it's going to work out well, but sometimes it doesn't work out so well and you're left for, you know, an hour, whatever, waiting for an ambulance. Mm -hmm. It's, it's mm -hmm. scary stuff. It's really I, changed my perception. It, it makes you wonder what changed it though, right? Like, I don't know how much this was a problem in 1988 or 1998 mm -hmm. or 2008 because you hear about it, like you said, Grant, the pandemic drew that flag. We know there's cutbacks everywhere, so we hear. We know there's more places money is asked to go, a lot more asks being made. But we as a country like this stop and say, how can we have this as a problem? How can we be shutting down emergency rooms? I think we're all left wondering, and, and it makes you stop and say, is the difference... How many people we lay off, how we try to cut corners. They must have been trying to cut corners as much as they could in the 1950s, 70s, 90s, whenever. Mm -hmm. But 
What the, I, and again, I can't speak to this. I don't know. I don't remember hearing anything about it because until it affects one of us, until I call an ambulance and they say, yeah, yeah, we'll be there in a half hour, Mr. McDonald. What? You know, I don't, I may not be as aware and I hear it on the news. I'm, gosh, I'm glad I don't live in that small place where they're having that problem. Well, Toronto ain't a pretty small place. So, uh, oh, well, there's yeah, a lot of people sure. there. I won't live there. So I don't know, guys. Like, I, yeah. I there's got to be a, a, yeah. a, a very e explainable answer. But what do we do For about sure. it? For sure. Like, it does make me kind of, like, think about the fact that, like, has there ever been a time in our lives, realistically, where, like, we haven't been trying to cut corners and we haven't been trying to cut costs? The thing that prompted me finding this story was I literally just Googled, like, ambulance wait times because the other day, my poor granddad, obviously all my family's in the UK, um, and my poor granddad got up in the night, went to go to the bathroom, kind of got disorientated. He's in his mid-80s, and he tumbled all the way down the stairs, oh, um, yeah. broke his shoulder. I know, I feel oh. so sorry for him. Uh, he's got bruises all over his face, bless him. Um, but he was he was really shaken. He couldn't move. He was laying there on the floor, and he's calling for my grandma. Thankfully, like 15 minutes kind of went by, he thinks, and um, she did wake up, and she went downstairs. And again, thankfully, they actually bought the house next door to my mum, so my grandma was able to call my mum. My mum came over. They got him up. They kind of got him like situated somewhere. They had called an ambulance, and they said it would be about an hour. Well, that hour turned into two hours, which turned into three hours, which eventually oh. turned into seven hours, with which him in just pain. blew oh my, my mind. He was just sat there with his bro he with his broken shoulder, and um, yeah, I just seven hours. Like even during COVID, as you both know, my dad passed away from COVID, and when they did call an ambulance for my dad to get taken in. It, I think they said it took like half an hour, which still, yes, like that, that is a wait. But when you think about the, the midst of COVID, my dad died on like the day that had the highest death rate from COVID in the UK. And the fact that even in the midst of COVID, they were able to get an ambulance there quicker than three or four years after COVID has happened. And the wait was yeah, seven hours. Like, yeah, and you ask the question, "What is insane. going on?" And you also wonder, "What did COVID start?" And and I don't, you know, mm -hmm. I sit back and say, "Is it cutbacks, or is it people who have left the the business because, or is it people not wanting to go through the education process because I don't want to do that. I want to do something else. I want to go into privatization and and do medical somewhere where someone's paying me good money at a clinic or something like that. Who knows with with what that is. I mean, I'm sure someone studying out there has the answer. Um, I just yeah, need to figure, for out, sure. just figure it out. I feel like it was, it was really the first time, our healthcare system has always been overburdened, but I feel like COVID mm -hmm. was really the first time where, you know, literally they said like, we, we cannot provide the care that we would have been able to provide because we just have too many people that we're looking after at the same time. So I think that was the really the first time we saw a big crack in the system. Like, okay, it actually and, and I'm very quick, and guys, like to say Canada only reacts when we have to. But Beth, your story mm -hmm. makes mm -hmm. me start kind of step back here and say, obviously, not just Canada. Yeah, like it was just such a crazy time, and I think 
obviously people were dropping like flies, obviously not in terms of death. Like obviously there were a lot of people that did pass away during COVID, but it was like, you know, like the people that were caring for people with COVID then got COVID because they were caring for the people with COVID. And it was just like such a vicious circle during that time. And like, I even remember my dad's body um, was not allowed to be touched for X amount of days because of the fact that he had COVID, which when you think about it for the families that have lost their person, and it's literally like, hey, like yeah. your person's dead now and they're going to be by themselves and we can't do anything with them until their body is essentially quarantined. Yeah. And yeah, yeah exactly. like it. Or you wouldn't be allowed to be in the same awful. room as they're dying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, in our situation, we did get quite, I don't want to say lucky. Like, I don't think there was any lucky in this situation, but my mom and sister were they got a call because my dad actually was doing really really well and i think this was the scary thing about a lot of people who passed away from covid he was doing really well he was on the right path to come home and literally within hours he just deteriorated they didn't understand why um there was no like medical reason necessarily for it um and he literally like my mum was like on the phone with the doctors. They were giving her this update. Oh, he'll be home in a week. He's been doing really well, actually. Like everything is looking up. Next thing she knows, in that very same call, they're like, sorry, we don't know what's happened. He's taken a turn for the worst. If you can get here, like, right, like in the next hour, you should be able to see him. But like, he is not going to make it. Like, it was such yeah, a crazy, crazy time. But just, the, the the fact that kind of now like our healthcare system is almost like in a worse place than it was then is just yeah. unfathomable yeah, to me. And, and I think burnout, obviously, right, guys? I, I mean, obviously, that absolutely took its toll the far nurses more than we have any that, idea. Yeah, the nurses that had to go through, like my mum and sister, the ladies that were in the room with them the amount of people they saw die during that time is something that I don't think a lot of people think about. Like, yeah, they had to work more hours, but like they literally watched multiple people die every single day. And I know that's part of the job, but the amount of people they saw die was, wasn't like a normal amount. If you will, like it wasn't, wasn't, wasn't good. And I think a lot of people have had to take a break from, you know, being nurses, being doctors, because it took such a toll on their mental health. Oh, totally. And after all of that, they face harassment from the public who, you know, thought it was all fictional and everything. It's a very thankless job. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's interesting because, as you say, you saw a lot of things that otherwise, you know, you, you say people sign up to join the military, but generally when you join military, you don't have to go through what people went through during a world war, right? So mm-hmm. you, you don't come yeah. out of there, and you know. Uh, Beth, wonderful. Thank you. And Beth, thank you so much for sharing and, and, you know, from your own personal experience and what the family went through and giving us a lot of thought here and, and I feel some different perspective. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for having me, guys. Beth Deere with us, filling in for Bill Shackleton. We call the segment The Buzz, and uh, she'll be back tomorrow with us as we carry on with another edition. Coming up in the next hour of the program, our weekly roundtable. Today, we're going to be joined by AMI communications specialist Greg David for our chat. Plus, 
on Curious Minds with Christine Malik, we dive into the history of irrigation systems and how they work. Up next, however, what are some food trends we might see in 2024? Well, you know who's here to drop by and give us some details on that. Mary Mamaliti, next on Kelly and Ramya. times on the program we just get into conversations and we're blessed on this show to be able to go all over the place ladies and gentlemen i really appreciate our segment with beth uh last segment do check it out via the podcast if by chance you missed it on this edition today of the buzz it's just a lot to think about grant hardy joining me today on the program out in vancouver it happens hey grant we'll go from one subject to another on this show and sometimes as we say at the top of the buzz we never necessarily know where we're going and uh and today we we went different place which really wonderfully brought up some sharing on best part and for me a lot of thinking of our systems yeah i mean it just seems like we really need to take a very holistic approach to everything from funding to staff levels to probably infrastructure of our city as well yeah. maybe isn't helping with some of the problems that we're well, and we talk the big game of mental health and we know how serious that is we know what people as we were talking about have went through we know we would get our headset when it comes to employment and everyone looking for a better circumstance but even people as we joked with jeff passing the buck down the hallway kick it down there let let jeff wear it. oh let grant wear it. i'm busy with this and how much of that happens and things fall through the cracks so very interesting i'll say I'll say I love, as you say, the vibes of the show. We have all kinds of different discussions. We're switching to a little bit of a more cheerful topic now because on Thursdays at this time, we get cooking with Mary Mamaliti of Kitchen Confession. If you're like me, the kitchen is your favorite room in the house. I'm Mary Mamaliti here with a handful of goodies from my kitchen, including food trends, cooking tips, and of course, some delicious recipes. And every year, a fresh batch of food trends really sprouts up. And while some fade away, like two-ingredient bagels, others linger, and, uh, others, uh, linger and reshape how we approach food and cooking. Mary share some of the most anticipated food trends for 2024 uh, that not only deserve our attention, but are going to tantalize our taste buds. That sounds good to me. Welcome to the program, Mary. Well, hello, and it's always great to be back chatting food with you all. All right. Well, you too. Uh, and we're looking forward to getting into some cheerful stuff, but the first one is probably not going to make all of us smile. Are Canadians going to continue seeing climbing food prices on our grocery bills this year? Okay, so there is the good news, and then there's the bad news. Let's start with the bad news first, because that's how I roll. I like to get the bad out of the way. <laughs> out of the so, way, yeah. Right? Just get out of the way. Tear off that Band-Aid. Climbing food prices won't be a thing of the past in 2024, unfortunately, and Canadians could continue seeing that reflected on their grocery bills, so brace yourselves. Because according to Canada's food price report for 2024, which predicts that overall food prices will increase by, wait for it, 2.5% to 4.5%. So this Ooh, means the wow. average Canadian family, right? This means the average Canadian family of four is expected to see an increase of 
up to $700 from last year. I'm so sorry to report that, but that could be a possibility. Good grief. <sighs> wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, yeah. Mayor. So now that that bad news is out <laughs> of the way, the, the groaner, <laughs> shall we call it, let's dive into the juicy stuff. The fun part of all these food predictions, how does uh, Pinterest uh, kind of factor into all this? Okay, so according to more than 482 million people who use Pinterest that plan events, they use it to plan events, they use it for a meal inspiration. When it comes to trend forecasting, Pinterest can almost predict the future with an 80% accuracy rate for four years running now. Right. So all our searches, all our pins um, and our desire to learn new things. It helps Pinterest predict future trends projected for 2024 are culinary combinations and melty mashups, which honestly I am looking forward to because they sound so good. Melty always says cheese to me. Yep. Right. So this year we're going to let our curiosity run wild. And I want you to mash your two favorite cheesy dishes together. So right now, trending, cheeseburger tacos, right? So this means mm -hmm. soft tortillas. They're filled with all the fixings of a hamburger, including the ketchup and the mayo. Give it a shot. Never know. Uh, or maybe keeping your fingers clean with gummy candy kebabs. Or my new favorite, oh. honestly, my new favorite mashup is carbonara ramen. Right? Why not just mix that up? And then maybe try a burger quesadilla or a pizza pot pie. Right? Just get ready. 2024, it's a kitchen revolution. Right? It's it's like I said, creativity takes the lead, finding simple, exciting ways to give a fresh twist on some of our favorite homemade dishes. You know, it's funny because I'm actually not the most adventurous person in the kitchen, but I've thought of making kind of a how did you describe it? Like a hamburger tortilla thing taco? where you taco, taco thank you, where yeah. you put, yeah that's that's a cool idea right. um <laughs> is it true tell us about the increase in some of the tropical inspired foods this year Okay, so food is going to get a sunny upgrade this year. So with an increased interest in not only food, but tropical chic decor as well. Now, I mean, mm. we're here we're here to talk about food. So I'm going to lead with food with some dishes and some examples that include maybe Hawaiian-inspired sheet pan meals, mm -hmm. pineapple upside-down cake, and even pineapple mocktails. So, I mean, I love this. I've already started experimenting. I did uh, this pineapple Hawaiian kind of uh, coconut rice bowl, which was delicious. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm a huge coconut person. But you know what you noticed with, with in the past recently, and I think about this as you go through the Hawaiian thing here and I think, mm -hmm. yeah, but hold it, that's true. We, like, like for a while there, mango was your thing yes. to go to, wasn't it? Yes, yes. Pineapple is now, it's surging. Everything pineapple. Must cycle around. It's got to because there's times in life where I've where I've said, "Hey man, every time I turn around, it's pineapple." And you know, pineapple upside down cake. You know, any pine people have not heard of that or played around with that for ages. Okay, so it's sustainability. Yeah, and I think a lot of it this year. Well, a lot of it this right. year is also because you know our winters are cold, so it yep. kind of puts yep. a little bit of a tropical feel to us. Hmm. And we have heard a lot more lately 
of tropical. Unfortunately, what happened in Hawaii last mm -hmm. year and, and all the you know stuff like that. Any anytime yeah. any of the hurricanes come through, uh, I love anything with coconut. So, um, is sustainability going to take a backseat this year, or is it gearing up for a big step forward? Okay. Right now, it's gearing forward. So brands, they can't just rely on a clean ingredient list anymore. Right? Consumers want more. So this translates to a stronger emphasis on products that prioritize sustainability as a whole. So, uh, for instance, a company with 100% organic ingredients then collaborates with the responsible suppliers. And then you want to opt for maybe compostable packaging. And then if you're going for that bonus if the companies are listening, mm -hmm. the bonus points if they produce their products in facilities powered by renewable energy. So this is what we're leaning towards. And this is what consumers are looking for, is the whole package deal. Yeah, I guess mm -hmm. we're almost going to have to come up with some like labeling standards too, hey, so that you can't just, you know, 100% organic, you know, whatever, but it's actually produced in a very unsustainable way. I, I feel like people sort of know what they want. They're just not always able mm -hmm. to articulate it. So hopefully we can develop some standards on that. Absolutely. This, this kind of goes hand in hand with sustainability, I think. But let's talk about plant-based or vegan foods in 2024, making them even more delicious. Okay, so in 2024, we're putting the plant back in plant-based. So as the enthusiasm for plant-based foods, it keeps growing. And the projection is that artificial meats will step aside. So making room for more nourishing vegan dishes. So the Whole Foods 2024 market forecast, they suggest that vegetables will steal the spotlight this year. Right, so people are more excited or expected to swap out Processed faux meats products like Beyond the Meat. I'm not saying it's leaving or it's going anywhere. It's just people are going to go for healthier alternatives with right. simpler ingredients, right? So like veggie forward burgers is what they're going to be looking for and interested in. Um, veggie burgers in 2024, they'll they'll boldly highlight their vegetable goodness. So they're really going to push that forward. And ingredients lists, they'll get shorter. And plant-based products will feature easily identifiable components, right? So they're often referred to in the food industry as clean label, and that's what you want. Another trend quickly would be identified in the Whole Foods, again, 2024 market forecast, food and supplement products that support women's health. So from energy bars formulated to support menopause and postpartum, can I get an amen? Cookies to <laughs> cookies that help enhance breast milk supply. TikTok has also had a major influence with viral recipes like the Sleepy Girl mocktail and a raw carrot salad for estrogen support. I wasn't going to report on the Sleepy Girl mocktail, but I do have to mention it because it has taken off. Please also always consult with your physician before taking any type of vitamin, especially magnesium. Right. So if, if we which is which is what they're using in the sleepy girl mocktail. So if we. Um, yeah, that's probably that, that, that's about where it is right now. So you're saying that the TikTok health advice, maybe we should double check that a little bit. <laughs> yes, always. Please, please. I mean, it's fun to to listen in and to hear what people are doing and what they're you know, trying. But at the same time, the sleepy girl mocktail, it's consuming magnesium. So. I I definitely recommend talking to your physician before. Thank you, Mayor. Doing Anything else? Cocktail. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Mayor, Thursday night, uh, Dish with Mary. Mm -hmm. uh, we got about yeah. a minute. Preview tonight's show. 
Okay, tonight's show airs every Thursday, 9 a.m. this week episode. I visit the beautiful Terrafina restaurant at Hester Creek Winery. It is stunning. It is so much fun. And in this picturesque Okanagan Valley is where I meet Chef Adair Scott. So Adair, he shares his personal culinary journey and why he chose to become a chef. Sounds like you have a heck of a lot of fun and come up with some tasty foods as well. So hopefully folks mm. can check that out. Yep, and a lot of accessible cooking tips are being shared throughout. I could use that as I work to adult a little more than I've done so far in my 30s. <laughs> uh, Mary, as always, fantastic. Uh, and dare I say, my mouth is watering after talking to you. So thanks so much for coming <laughs> Amazing. on. Amazing. My job here is done. <laughs> thanks, Mary. There you go. <laughs> Thank you. Check, check out Mary's discussions and recipes on kitchenconfession.com and find the Kitchen Confession podcast on your favorite podcast platform as well. All right, let's talk a little bit about water and irrigation, folks, because today on Curious Minds with Christine Malik, we're going to dive into the history of irrigation systems and how they work. That up next in two minutes. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner. Here we are, folks. In the midst of the second hour of Kelly and Rumya, wherever you are, thanks for being with us. Appreciate you joining the program. Today, Grant Hardy with me on the show. And it's time as we jump into a, a once-a-month great conversation because we learn about so many things. Interesting perspective. We call it Curious Minds. Let's welcome in Christine Malik. Christine Malik, and this is Curious Minds, our dive into arts, culture, and science from a blindness perspective. You know, Chris, I just love that this was a subject that uh, when I looked at it, oh, this is what we're talking about today. It takes us back, to, well, me back, to our farming chat and, and when did kind of that stuff start. You want to talk today about when irrigation systems started, and this is fantastic. <laughs> I think... Fedora's off to you for these things coming up because this is just so surprising and out of out of like wow. Every time I get my notes together, I think you should probably just start with Chris. Why are we talking about this? <laughs> oh, but, but so, it's so awesome! I just love more so. Where the heck do you get this idea? Did this one's where the cool. Heck do these I come love from? it. Yeah, so you're right. This really does connect to um, a, a segment I did a few months ago on the agricultural revolution. And I got the chance recently to hear a presentation about ancient civilizations and how they used resources. And of course, water is fundamental. It's one of the mm -hmm. most important uh, resources that we have. And at the agricultural revolution kind of, as it got going, people started to figure out that if you can move water around, um, you can greatly increase the amount of land that is productive. So you don't have to be farming just by the river. You can move that around. And um, so we start to see early irrigation systems around 3,000 BCE, so 5,000 years ago in Mesopotamia, which is sort of Iraq-Iran region, and Egypt. And it what these systems were trying to do was to take water, move it around, make more arable land. And 
um, this accomplished a lot of things. As people could farm more land and grow more food, they stayed in one place. And this has huge implications for what happens. You can start specializing. You can develop a stratified society, basically what we refer to as civilization, which is the whole construct of how people live Um becomes possible when you can stay in one place and focus on on specific specific things. Okay, so when we want to isolate wh where this kind of started, can we get a little more zeroed in on where did people start when it came to making this land a little more productive? Uh, so Iran and Iraq is the Tigris and the Euphrates River and the Fertile Crescent, and also then the Nile as well in Egypt. And so one of the things that uh, Egypt developed was called the Shaduf. And it's also known in Mesopotamia as well, in India and in Eastern Europe. And I have a photo. We're going to show it and we're going to listen to a an AI description of the photo. So let's do that first. First, and then we'll we'll talk about what it is. So let's check out the photo in the description. The image depicts an ancient irrigation tool called a shadow, used for watering the lands. It consists of a long, tapering wooden beam balanced on an upright support, with a bucket or scoop at one end and a counterweight at the other. A man is shown operating the shadow, standing on a raised mound of earth. He is using his body weight to push down on the end of the beam with the counterweight, which raises the bucket and out of the water source. The surrounding area is not detailed, but there are some sketchy lines indicating the ground and a few tufts of grass. The caption reads, Shadow for watering the lands. Thebes. So the thing is, when we start... When we start talking about irrigation systems, there's kind of this tacit idea in the sighted world that everyone's seen these kind of diagrams and mm. these illustrations and they know what, and to me, I just, in this presentation, I went irrigation systems. I don't really get how this works. So my, I hope I'm going to get this right, but what I think's going on is it's using this sort of fulcrum or teeter-totter kind of um, model and it dips a bucket into a, a stationary water source, like a river, like the Nile, the bucket gets full. It can lift as high as six meters above by counterweighting the other end, which may be, you know, a significant distance from the river. And then if I understand it correctly, it's going to slide down and then pivot. And so if you can just spin that whole thing around, what you end up with is a big bucket of water quite a distance from the stationary water source. And this allows you to just sort of dump it all into uh, what might have been an unproductive field. Uh, and then you get uh, you get water where you didn't have water before, and you get arable land also where you didn't have water before. So the sh that's called the shadouf, which was uh, yeah. developed, we believe, in Egypt, Mesopotamia, but also used in Western Europe. And I guess where that water lands, of course, it's going to splash. It's going and rooting roots will find that water, it, but it gets it closer to them trying to get to the river and to an area that makes that land more more suitable. I, I yeah, I was wondering about the movement. How much movement? Because otherwise, you think what? Does it just lift and then it, it's got to have that swivel and be able to be moved to another area too? You think or another one built? So fantastic, Chris. Especially you think about how someone decided, well, we're going to do this, and this will help us do that, instead of me going down to the river, bucket fill, walking right. 100 you know, yeah. feet <laughs> over somewhere else. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, this is it's... why I love irrigation. Sorry, this is why I love irrigation as an idea because it's human ingenuity at its at its best. It's people yeah. thinking and using intelligence and observation and experiment to try things and come up with a solution that works. Levers and weights. No, it is. Awesome. It is. 
and it's it's so fascinating to hear you describe this because I you don't necessarily admit this all the time, but especially if you're born blind, uh, it is so difficult to comprehend these systems and so hard to just figure out who is going to spend the mental energy describing, you know, photo right. after photo for me. So finally, AI is putting this a little bit in reach, which is fantastic. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, we do have another system that you're going to describe for us. We do. It's called the Kanat. And this is something that was developed in uh, Persia. So also Iran, the Iran, you know, area of the world. Um, it's, you have vertical well shafts, which are for maintenance, but what they are is basically a set of underground pipes. And so again, I have a photo and some AI description. So why don't we give that a look and a listen and then I'll, I'll elaborate a bit on that. The image shows an ancient irrigation system known as a canad or fallage, which is used to transport water from an underground aquifer to the surface for agriculture and drinking. It features a series of well-like vertical shafts connected by gently sloping tunnels. In the foreground, there is a cascading flow of water over a stepped, terracotta-colored structure that resembles a large comb with water flowing evenly from each tooth, creating multiple small waterfalls. This structure is distributing water into several parallel channels that are lined with green grass, indicating the presence of water and its life-sustaining role in an otherwise arid landscape. The background is dominated by a desert environment with sandy ground and sparse vegetation, including a few palm trees that suggest an oasis setting. The sky is overcast, giving the scene a soft, diffused light. And so in this Very one, cool. it's showing the water above ground, but in, in many of the systems, what's going to happen is it goes underground and it's using gravity. So you're going to start from a, a more elevated position, uh, you know, geographically, use gravity, dig... Um, channels or canals that go under the ground. And the advantage of this, of course, is that uh, you minimize contamination, evaporation, or <clears throat> destruction in war. So your water supply uh, your water supply is safe. And it's it's so true what you said about how we, we it's sort of awkward to admit that we don't always understand these things. Because in this presentation, I was asking about, you know, these these details. And he said, well, there's a levee. And then I said, mm, okay, actually, what, I don't know what a levy yeah. is. And, he, and then he kind of, it was a sighted guy and he's a great guy, but just sort of off the cuff with that thing. He's like, well, don't you know that song and the levy, the levy is dry. And I'm like, okay, yeah, but that doesn't give me yeah. any. So there's all of these culture gaps, right? That we have. And um, I love AI. I love AI yeah, and for this. Just, yeah. just those things where you're embarrassed to just keep asking and keep asking for more <laughs> descriptions awkward. and now with ai you yeah. can ask it whatever the heck you want right? i'll talk to you all day oh, and no. it doesn't laugh at you what do you mean right? asking that show me to and the it doesn't go, what do you mean? don't you know that song the levy is dry <laughs> okay that doesn't help me though <laughs> yeah <laughs> and we've more. talked about that with wind farms right because how recent have you climbed up that let's see what this thing does right? which way does it go vertically or horizontally uh -huh, you have uh -huh. another one for us okay because it's known all over the world irrigation um what about the example you have from asia i, I find this fascinating especially even mm -hmm. the littlest detail in the last one of the grass of course is green goes underground. Why? Well, the whole description of the area is dry desert, so you don't want that evaporation you mentioned. So I love this. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's so interesting. So the third example is from China, and it's a sluice arrangement. So a sluice is um, any movable gate that allows you to control the flow of water. So let's give a listen to this. This is describing the uh, a sluice gate arrangement to irrigate rice fields in China. The image depicts a traditional sluice gate, 
part of an irrigation system used for rice fields in China. The rusty metal structure serves as a control mechanism to regulate water flow through the narrow channel beneath it. The channel stone walls appear aged, indicating long-term use in the agricultural practice. This loose gate connects two sides of the channel, allowing for the precise management of water levels necessary for rice cultivation. The surrounding stonework and the still water in the channel suggest a tranquil, rural setting, typical for rice growing areas. In the background, there is a larger body of water that likely serves as the source for the irrigation system, with lush greenery indicative of a fertile landscape. So I'm, I'm super interested in the movement of water in general. And this one to me, again, like I'm just going by what I read and the, the AI description. So there may be people who know more about this and are thinking, no, Chris, you got it all wrong. But I, what I think is that it's working like a lock system with boats where you control yeah. the flow of water. You let one part fill up, you let one part go lower. And it's basically doing the same thing as a lock system does. And it's uh, spilling, right? I think it spills over to yes. give that because the, the key here is rice fields need a little more water, standing water. And and I think that level of spill, I, I find it so, I didn't like the beginning, <laughs> rusty gate. Like what? <laughs> rusty doesn't it? Like that water, it's, 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 that you know, scary. it's kind of a, oh, okay. But I but we are talking standing water anyway, that, that mm -hmm. for the rice is what it thrives in. Yeah. Yeah, and rust isn't necessarily bad for plants. No, we don't no, want to drink exactly. It, but, um, yeah, yeah, and it's showing these systems, you know, they get used, they're getting used. You, you, you mentioned whenever you come on, we talk about super fascinating stuff. And I know you mentioned this was this is really interesting to you in particular. What makes it interesting to you? I think because it's it's showing human ingenuity at its best. It's what made it possible to feed more people. And arguably, as as I've sort of discussed before, the, the agricultural revolution is a bit controversial. Was it a great plan? Mm, you know, Yes, no, yes, no. But to me, uh, irrigation is sort of humans at their at their best, using gravity, using mm. the natural forces. And um, of course, with all as with all things that enjoy you know human ingenuity, it can lead to bad places too. So many parts of the world got over salinate, like over irrigation can lead to too much salinization, too much minerals left to evaporate into the soil, then the soil becomes unusable. So there's a whole, you know, is, is it a great idea? Yes, when it's used correctly. But to me, it's the human ingenuity, it's the resourcefulness, it's observation and analysis, figuring out how to use what you have to make things, uh, you know, to make things better. And, um, that's I, I I'm really curious about aqueducts to the Roman yes, aqueduct yes. system. Oh, civilization yes. is one of the definitions of civilization is a, it's measured as the distance between a person and their waste. And so when you think of that through, it's true. How far are we away from our sewage treatment plants? That's how we define whether we live in a good civilized uh, mm. functioning society. So uh, still really relevant today. Well, and for me, like, as you said, it's the age. It's when people were thinking these things and allowing us to realize, yeah, maybe the thinking had to be different. The technology, what they had tools to use was so different, but they arrived at so many of the same conclusions we did. We need water. We need it to survive. Right. How are we going to move it from here to here? How are we going to get rid of our waste? When are we going to collect our garbage? All these things that, you know, we, we take for granted. And at some point, they were able to because someone created a method to do it. Wonderful, yeah. Chris, as usual. Thank you. Christy Malik joins us on the third Thursday of the month for Curious Minds. Fantastic. We were talking today about old original 
ancient, if you want to even use that word, irrigation systems. Up next on the program, we have our weekly roundtable. We're joined by AMI communication specialist, Greg David. I've got a few subjects. We'll kick them around. Grant, he and I after this. It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Ramya return in a minute. We roll into your place Monday through Friday. If you miss us, though, during the week, we do have on the weekends on AMI-tv the best of Kelly and Ramya. We select some of the segments, and uh, you can check that out. You can also find some of our content up on uh, YouTube. Today, Grant Hardy joining me on the program. And it's time. We do it every Thursday for the Weekly Roundtable. I'm Isn't it convenient that we have a roundtable? Well, it's actually it oval. Just say it. Yeah. Like I feels it now goes. Well, I don't know. I guess it is oval. Kind of oval. It's um, kind of fortuitous uh, control room, but I'm not laughing because well, I can laugh because I'm in London. None of you are going to come down here and sort me out. But <laughs> the that was such a fluky little slip of the finger as we welcome in Greg David, who joins us on the roundtable. Because all I kept thinking, Greg, is Greg's going to stop and think. Well, hold on, I I don't have a segment prepared. <laughs> yeah, I heard that. I heard the first note of my doorbell, and I was scrambling for notes. You're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> what are we talking about today again? <laughs> if it had continued oh, to play, you know, I would have come out of that, and I would have so so. Greg, what do you got for us? <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, let's do that. Come on, Greg. What do you got for I us? I would have been ready to go. My head is so full of useless TV information. I could have rolled with it for 12 minutes, no problem. <laughs> well, guess what? As our guest here on the roundtable, of course, I try to curtail it so that I have something to lead off the top with something that might be a bit more in uh, the Greg David field or the guest field. Uh, seems Richard Simmons is not on board with a movie being made about his life. Tell me who wants to dance! News came Wednesday that a movie was being made about the life of exercise guru Richard Simmons, produced by a subsidiary of Warner Brothers called The Wolper Organization, and that comedian and actor Polly Shore would play the lead role. Oh, buddy. <laughs> but don't count on Simmons' support. He writes on Facebook that he didn't give his permission for the film, he doesn't have a manager or a publicist, and he just tries to live a quiet life. Wolper says it would love to have Simmons involved, but respects his desire for privacy and will produce a movie that honors and celebrates him. Jason Nathanson, ABC News, Hollywood. Polly Shore, can you see him in this role, Greg? <laughs> oh, I absolutely can, and it's so funny that this. Yeah. I, I, it's so funny that this popped up because I was just on on TikTok checking out uh, Polly Shore some Polly Shore clips because he has a podcast. I could totally see him in this role. I'm also. I also remember a few years ago there was a rumor that Richard Simmons had passed away, which was a weird mm -hmm. rumor, but because yeah, of the isolation I, he's living in, right? I think yeah, that's what it, it was. Exactly, exactly. He's he's retreated from the public eyes. But I can absolutely see uh, a movie being made about his life. And boy, Kelly, you and I grew up knowing all about Richard Simmons, you know, from oh, his, his workout videos to his le legendary late night appearances with David Letterman. Uh, and, uh, and, and even just, uh, I guess it was 10 or so years ago, or I guess it was longer, he was on an, a memorable episode of Whose Line Is It Anyway? You can search for that on social media. But not only can I see them making a movie, I want to go and see this movie. <laughs> interesting thoughts too because he had so much energy um and i think like i mean i'd want to live in isolation too i would be burned <laughs> out by now with yeah. all the energy that that guy exuded but when you hear somebody say grant oh well 
I don't really support this. Now, again, I, I, I don't, I'll maybe let Greg comment on this in a second. Um, you know, you hear a company say, well, we'd love to have you involved. We'd like to do this with your blessing, and we plan to honor your, your legacy in doing this. I don't know, Grant, would you still, if someone said, well, I don't want you doing it, I don't support it. Do you feel yeah. we need to think about that when it comes to our society? You know, I think we do a little bit. I saw this the other day, and I was I was contemplating this. And, you know, for someone who works in the media, I'm a fairly private person. And I'm not sure I would be stoked about someone making a movie uh, about me necessarily. And so I can see from his perspective either that – I controlled because I just don't think I would have the interest to do that. And I would feel a little bit invaded or that I didn't control because then the movie would just come out with actors, storylines that you didn't necessarily agree with or feel were representative of you. So on the one hand, I can see why people will go to this movie and be very entertained. On the other hand, yeah, I might step back a little bit if I were them knowing that he doesn't approve of it. Yeah, I, I can't see stepping back. I, I know how our society works, and okay, and I'm sure, Grant, you feel the same. They're not going to step back. Do, oh, yeah. do we feel they're going to, as they say, honor his life? Now, I think we get to the point where we know, will he appreciate whatever they do? I would prefer to know what's going to come out, what they're doing yeah. every step of the way, whether I'm for it or not, whereas it sounds like he wants nothing to do. I'm, don't come to me with footage or story ideas or where you're at. I don't want to know because I am totally against it. I guess I would want to know, but I also don't want to be so negative, Greg, to believe there isn't a production company, a, a person putting this together who actually would like to honor the person. What about those people wanting to create content, films, plays, whatever? No, you're right. And I mean, Grant brings up a really good point. And, you know, once you're in the public eye, like, like once you're at a Richard Simmons level, something is going to be mm -hmm. made whether you give it your blessing or not. Mm -hmm. And I, I agree with you, you know, when you think about it on the human level, do you need to tell this guy's story? And, and is it what does it mean when you say honor the memory of the person or honor their life? Uh, are you going to pull back the curtain on all of the shady stuff that happened? You probably are. And I'm not saying there's <laughs> anything shady with Richard Simmons. I just mean with celebrities in general. You know, it's going to be a warts and all story for the most part because you mm. want to attract attention to your project i guess you know if i if i was richard simmons and i don't know where his headspace is at i might want to see uh, a, a draft or a rough cut of it but it's going to be made regardless of whether he gives it his blessing or not yeah yeah, yeah. and when we talk about warts and all and again i'm sure there's the the odd person out there that says well what the heck wart do i have that i would be really bothered with but when you start saying no i don't want this done if you're not feeling it's going to invade if you know it's not going to invade your privacy you're not caring if you feel it might maybe you're saying i don't want it done because but then there are those people who just say listen man i'm private i don't want people then sniffing around for interviews what do you think of the film but unfortunately now you're gonna get that because you've said i'm not for it um yeah, that's a report right. a report by the canadian center for policy alternatives says millions of uninsured canadians are going to be left out of the new canadian federal uh dental program because their family income is too high guys 
Enrollment began last month for a new federal benefits program, which was developed as a condition of a political pact between the Liberal government and the NDP. It'll see the government offer dental benefits to uninsured families with a household income under $90,000 per year, starting with seniors, children under the age of 18, and people with disabilities. The report's author says when the program is fully implemented in 2025, 4.4 million people who don't have dental benefits of their own will be excluded because of the income gap. Laura Osmond, the Canadian Press, Ottawa. So a combined income over, let's say, 45 million in a household, making 90, they're out. A lot of people over that with jobs, they have insurance. They're covered. We need it to hit that sector of people grant out there in our communities, the seniors, the disabled community. Sounds like, for the most part, they're going to be covered. But regardless, 95, 100,000 in our society as things keep going up isn't a lot of money. And when you talk about especially people with dental problems, four million is a lot to be left out in the cold. That's exactly what I was going to say, is that if you look at 90,000, you know, 100,000 in a city like Vancouver or maybe Toronto, you are not striking it rich. Like I would describe someone, you know, just starting out as, you know, dare I say almost middle class. Like if you had to rent a place, pay for all your, you know, expenses, I don't know, this may be a little controversial, but personally, I think that uh, a single person or a family where that's their family income, I think you could still end up uh, struggling a little bit. Uh, definitely any incentive to get people to the dentist. I mean, I don't really know why it's not just included in our public health system. Uh, but you look at people, you know, haven't been to the dentist in years. Yours truly is not very good at going to the dentist. And it can cause all kinds of long-term problems later. And then you add this sort of stick instead of the carrot of having to fork out your money that you could just use for your pleasure or whatever, your bills and other bills instead. Yeah, I think it it so, sounds helpful, but maybe we should be going further. Well, and I don't know how it affects such as, and again, I'll, again, sorry, folks, to be Ontario-centric. The people, for example, on Ontario Disability Support, um, there are certain coverages you get, uh, certainly always leaving you lacking to some degree, depending on a person's situation, uh, dental-wise. I don't know how this works with it or if it makes you exempt, so I haven't looked into that, so I don't want to pretend to be an expert on how that will affect. Greg, you see an arbitrary number of 90,000 and shake your head and say, what does this represent? Where, how did you get, did you derive at this number? Yeah, and I mean, when Grant was speaking, I was nodding my head the entire time because I agreed with everything that he said. And I think when it comes right down to it, you know, you know, speaking specifically about the disability community, you know, living on on uh, on a budget, a tight budget, mm -hmm. you're not going to you're not making the the boundary to to necessarily get coverage. And and I would agree with him about the middle class. You know, the middle class that I grew up in is is different now because of of you know the prices of everything. Uh, it's I think that it should just be dental coverage for everybody like it is with health coverage. I don't understand mm -hmm. why there needs to be, you know, a monetary kind of goalpost that you need to aim for. It should just be available for everybody because like Grant said, not everybody can go to the dentist, has the time to go to the dentist, is nervous about going to the dentist and, and maybe having it up for, you know, available for free like our, our health care is, like our medical coverage is, uh, is kind of the answer. Yeah, it, I, I want to see this revamped. Obviously, I, I get kind of puzzled when 
you hear something like this, I change the number. Um, do I have a magic number on my own? What I think this should be at, so we're not excluding this amount of people, but there has got to be a way, there's got to be something you can look into because whether that four million's there, you still need to encourage people. I mean, we're always going to have people who, as Grant says, just... I don't need to go. I don't like going. I whatever. Yeah. I'll go when I have to. But it's got to be there in a country like this. Um, and dental as it is, and we're not going to be doing anything about it, is incredibly expensive. So. Um, thanks for weighing in on that, guys. Two members of the Rogers family who opposed their brother Edwards plan to replace former chief executive Joe Madeley, uh with Tony Staffieri uh, have announced their retirement from the company's board of directors. Rogers Communications says the decision by Melinda Rogers Hickson and Martha Rogers is part of a private settlement between members of the Rogers family. The sisters say in a joint statement they believe it's the appropriate time to retire from the board with family differences now settled. The siblings were at the center of a power struggle in 2021 when Edward wanted Natalie replaced with Staffieri, the company's former chief financial officer, while his mother Loretta Rogers and his sisters opposed the plan. Natalie sued the company for wrongful dismissal and breach of contract last year. The claim has not been tested in court. Michelle Zedekian, the Canadian Press. Back in the news again, media company Rogers. I mean, a couple weeks ago, we're raising people's uh, fees. And then, of course, there was a big, huge outage again. Not not quite the big one from a couple of years back. But we see this stuff going on all the time. Now we're getting announcements of, okay, the board's changing and stepping down and, and things like that. Um, always keeping us on our toes. Greg, what do you make of this? Oh, well, you know, every time a, a company like this, like Rogers pops up in the news, I, I always, it always makes me just think about how the telecommunication system here in this country is, uh, is broken. I mean, I, I don't think that's necessarily your question, but when you think about the Rogers of the world that own so many channels and, and own the cell phones in your pockets or the bells that, that, that own all of these companies and, and, also, you know, own the phone in your pocket. Uh, it just kind of makes me cringe because I just think of the monopoly that these companies have. So that's the first thought that I think think of rather than, oh, I feel badly for these people that are are retiring now because you know that their uh, their bank accounts, uh, speaking of 90,000, I think they've got a little bit more than 90,000 sitting in those bank accounts as they retire. Yeah. They don't worry about the dental program. It's yeah. tough because we know, for example, in the media, Rogers at least seems to have a little bit of a feel for the company's in media they have and what they want to do. doesn't mean they're not cloning everything and letting people go, but compared to Bell, where we stop and say, hey, they just don't seem to care about that. Nobody's sticking up for with the CRTC problem of not wanting to take care of prices being absolutely ridiculous and Canadians paying grant more for cell service than anyone else. And that includes, you know, the umbrella of, of Rogers and the subsidiaries from there. Oh, gosh, absolutely. If you look at our... our pricing it's uh i could use an extra ninety thousand dollars in my pocket to pay the bills you, you know what i find really interesting on, on a similar topic is just how like the the more power you have and the more wealth you have the little squabbles that you have in the family have more of an effect like with our families it might be like okay you're uninvited from thanksgiving dinner but with the rogers family it's like okay, now we're going to be restructuring our board at, you know, Rogers Communications. So I always find that really, uh, really interesting how family dynamics, well, I mean, yeah. It's like succession hey. in real life, right?
Exactly. Yeah. I was just going to say, yeah. Greg, you're going to bring up succession on us here. I know because it's true. The more it, it, whether it's the money, but we also know now this is just going to lead to more arguments of who yeah. does what. Someone, well, what you're leaving? So what? Who's taking over what? Or how are we splitting this up? Uh, I want to talk just briefly about video games. A new study finds that uh, video gamers should probably turn down the volume. Gaming may be a common source of unsafe listening, says the British Medical Journal. Its latest review finds that gamers may be at an increased risk of hearing loss or tinnitus because they generally play with the volume turned up for long periods. But the journal also said more research is necessary to establish a stronger link between gaming and hearing issues. The paper looked at 14 different studies encompassing around 50,000 people. Mike Dubusky, ABC News. So I love my sound system, but as a blind person, I've kind of never really dabbled in these games, so it's kind of new to me. It goes back to where I think about listening to bad-sounding MP3s that were, we were told 20 years ago. They're killing your ears, you fools. Um, now you've got these games to think about. Greg, do you play them loud if you play a video game? I'm not sure if you're a gamer at all. I am not a gamer, but it made me chuckle because I have listened to my hair metal through a set of headphones <laughs> ever since I was 13 years old, whether it was plugged into the home stereo at home, whether it was my waterproof Walkman strapped to my hip, whether it was my CD player in my car, to the earbuds that I have, to the headset that I'm using right now. I love to crank the tunes. And so I, it's always funny when one of these reports comes out because it's like, yeah, uh, this is probably really bad for your hearing, but we need to do more more studies uh yeah that's why i think about <laughs> yeah, that the easy I, way out yeah always <laughs> grant it's always the easy way out we need to throw some more money and do more studies well then we can take away from you know where we need the money to go the medical services as greg walks you know blaring his music with his sport walk <laughs> um grant you and i probably if someone walked up and said why why do you have the tv on so loud or your audio i love listening to audio not games i haven't really gotten into that field, but i know i listen to video uh, tv whatever loud because i want to hear every little sound to help me know what's going on oh absolutely i love audio and like greg i grew up blaring music on my earbuds and being told this is this is bad for your ears, but we still kind of do it anyway because it's a habit. Yeah, yeah future generations going to have to really think about this. And they've been told that too. I'm sure all those people listening to our old radio shows, Grant, were told by their parents, would you turn that stupid shadow down. down? It'll kill your ears <laughs> listening to <laughs> Greg, thanks a lot for being on the program. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Greg David from our communications department joining us on the roundtable. We do this on the program every Thursday when we invite somebody in to hang out with the hosts and have some different conversation, different subjects. We'll step aside for a moment. When we return, Grant and I will tell you what's coming up on Now with Dave Brown tomorrow. Preview our program and Romeo left us an interesting closing moment. We'll get into that after this. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. So there was a, at one point, a term where if you felt itchy, I think it was your hand or something like that, or anyway, you were going to come into money. I, I don't think you'll think that after our closing moment shortly. Grant Hardy oh, with me no. on the program. Want to remind you folks, check out the show, including our audio vanity card, which you can find via the podcast, the full version of the podcast. You also can listen to the show in segment form. Please subscribe now and uh, check it out. Grant, you've got information for us on what's coming up tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. in the morning on AMI-tv, now with Dave Brown. 
Well, Kelly, the Friday news panel with journalist Michelle McQuig and Joita Gupta from The Pulse are going to join Dave to discuss some of the interesting stories of the week, including plans by officials in Montreal to revitalize its downtown core with a 24-hour party zone. And the panel is going to ponder if that's a good idea. Of course it is. Uh, Also, (laughs) the panel will explore the growing problem of attracting people to downtown cores as experienced in many cities. Plus, Brock Richardson is going to have the sports report. Greg David will give us his take on the new CTV program, Sight Unseen, which is the story that tells a story of a big city detective who is diagnosed as being blind and uses a seeing eye app to solve crimes. Wow, cool stuff. I wonder how much cut the volunteers at Seeing Eye, what, you know, whoever's helping be at Eyes for Room, I wonder how much of a cut they're demanding. They, they've got to work on that. Uh, 9 a.m. in the morning, catch now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv, ladies and gentlemen. You can also listen in uh, over at AMI+. Plus. Um, folks, I mentioned getting itchy. Well, the, Ramya handed this to us to uh, utilize for our closing moment today. Biology scientists finally work out what causes unusual itching, and it's worse than you think. Because scientists no. at Harvard Medical School in the U.S. have discovered the cause. Bacteria living in your skin, a new paper in the uh, journal Cell, reveals that Staphylococcus aureus releases a chemical that activates a protein in our nerves. This sends a signal from our skin to our brain, which proceeds is perceived as a itch. Plenty of good bacteria, keep in mind, lives in our skin. This amazing organ is kept healthy by diverse population of microorganisms. But when that mix of microorganisms becomes unbalanced, Staphylococcus aureus can run rampant. The paper offers uh, that uh, they studied, the, excuse me, the, store, the paper's authors studied this in humans and in mice. Mice whose skin was exposed to aureus uh, developed intense itches wherever the bacteria grew but also in response to light touches from other stimuli. The sciences concluded that uh, VA processes uh, are the uh, culprit of, uh, of stimulating a protein called PAR1 in nerves, which sends an itch signal to the brain. Hey, I'm itchy. Higher levels <laughs> of the uh, enzymes were depect- de- de- sorry, detected in patients, particularly with dermatitis, and then in people with healthy skin. But how do they uh, itches benefit bacteria? Well, it's speculation at this point that the itch scratch cycle could enable us to spread that uh, bacteria around to different sites Aww. and to uninfected hosts, right? Because we're moving it all around on our fingers. So why do we itch and scratch? Does it help us or does it help the microbe? I think the microbe. Oh, you had me I mean, at that bacteria. makes it travel. <laughs> I don't. I don't dig this. This at all. I'm gonna pretend to myself that it's good luck or something like yeah, that. I don't that it's like just a tickle. That it, you're gonna come into money. Not that it's bacteria, <laughs> yes. despite the huge um, benefit to our body and healthy item that our skin is. It's just. It's just a way of knowing, forecasting the financial future. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I could, I could use that this year. I really could. And I'm actually itchy right now. So I'm hoping that I'm going to win like $10,000 or something. Well, the evil we'll side see. of me is going to say to you, spread that bacteria. Go ahead, spread it. <laughs> Coming okay. up on tomorrow's show, ladies and gentlemen, the Toronto Raptors made a massive trade, uh, dealing away all-star Pascal Siakam. We'll talk with Brock Richardson about it tomorrow. 
two celebrities releasing books this year, and Ryan Hui is excited about it. He tells us more on the Chatty Bookshelf. Thanks for hey, being with us, Grant. Thank you for being with us, folks. Fun. Thanks, pal. We're waving at you, folks. Have a wonderful night. One of the funniest things I find with YouTube is we all have our moments going back to things that we thought, hey, that was a really cool scene on on my favorite TV show. And not only if you're lucky you can find shows, and I'm a big fan of your 70s, 80s, some of the 90s things, or just want to relive moments or whole episodes, or curious about, as a fan of old-time radio, a series that I didn't even know existed because it was long before I existed. But to find some of this stuff on YouTube and to explore it is kind of cool. But I also find it interesting how many of us have similar likes for certain scenes, things you may want to see. Um, and again, looking at shows and saying, okay, YouTube, search for, and then finding that scene, those clips that people also liked. It's just interesting to think of around the world, who's out there that is kind of so like-minded yourself. Like, it's just... Ironic, even down to the things we laugh at, the moments that pull us, that make us interesting, or those of us who like our fight scenes and say, oh, I remember the fight scene between, oh, wow, that's out here. Heck, that's on a soap opera, and I found it. I remember that from, especially in the days when you saw something once, and that was it. Unless you kept a video recording, a videotaped recording, that was it. It's so fascinating with the world of, YouTube and so many other social media outlets that post videos, you start to realize how many other people think similar, have the same likes, and you make note of it's not just a show, not just an episode, maybe a moment within, maybe something you always thought, only I find that funny, or, oh, I really like that. This was done so well by my favorite actor. And yet, so many others out there feeling the same and um, some of them posting it and saying, hey guys, remember this, and you do. Hello, I'm Sean Priest. Join me monthly for Sean of the Shed, where I introduce you to all the technology that can be so useful to us as blind or partially sighted people. Find Sean of the Shed wherever you find all your podcasts.